0: 1939, in Imperial, the Imperial Japanese Empire, uh, there was a missionary couple uh, with the last name Kovell. And they served as missionaries in Japan for, for several years. Uh, but 1939, as the government uh, began to destabilize and tensions between the Japanese and the Americans began to deteriorate, this missionary couple fled from Japan to the Philippines, to Manila. And several years after that, when the Japanese invaded the Philippines, they captured this missionary couple, the Covells. Uh, They took them prisoner, and the next day, they executed them. They executed them, and they executed all those that were with them, the men, the women, and the children. And it was several years after this, after the war ended, one of their children, Peggy Covell, that escaped that ordeal. She fled back to America to go to 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 college. Um, And she didn't learn about her parents' demise until after the war was over. And when she learned what happened to her parents and all that were with them, the unjustified killing of, of, of her mom, of her dad... Of, uh, of a few of her family members that, that were with that were with them. She was filled with hatred. She was filled with anger toward people that would do something like that to somebody that she loved, somebody that she held dear. She had this hatred. She had this anger. She had this animosity in her heart until she, was, she, she began to think about it. She began to think about her parents' last moments, What were they thinking? What were they praying for? What were they feeling in in, in that time before they were executed by the Japanese? And she was convinced that her parents, knowing their character, knowing who they were, she was convinced that her parents prayed that God would forgive those that were about to execute them right before they died. She was convinced of that. And, And because of that, she said... How can I do any less? So because of that, she volunteered at a POW camp in Colorado that housed Japanese prisoners of war. She bound up their wounds. She took care of them when they were sick. She was noticed for the kindness, for the unusual kindness and generosity that she displayed toward those that had taken someone, taken people from her that she loved so dearly. And there were many people that began to ask. They knew the story. They knew what happened to her parents. And several people uh, began to ask, why are you doing this, Peggy? What's the point? And this was her reply. Because the Japanese army killed my parents, but the Holy Spirit has washed away my hatred and replaced it with love. Today's my last day to be with you. Uh, It's it's a sad day uh, for for me and and my family because we love all of you so very much. Uh, We have enjoyed uh, these last three years tremendously uh, and uh, just we we can see that the Holy Spirit is working in this place and and moving in each and every one of you. And we just we wish you all the best. Uh, We wish you well. And in your service to um, to Christ Jesus, our, our Lord, as, as as we move, I want to leave you with this passage of Scripture this morning uh, because I think it's it it's a beautiful John paints a beautiful picture of the gospel uh, by Jesus' action of washing the disciples' feet. Uh, I, I want to dive into this text just for a few minutes and encourage you to serve like this, to become like this, to follow His example, to serve like Jesus. Take out your Bible with me, if you will, and turn to John chapter 13. We're going to be in verses verses 1 through 17. Uh, we're going to start with verse uh, 3, as, as you see on the screen, but you can read verses 1 and 2, and you'll see that it's, it's Passover time. It's the time where the Jews gathered together to... Uh, commemorate God's delivering of his people from Egypt, uh, the, the Exodus, to celebrate and to remember God's redemption. Uh, that's, that's what's uh, taking place here. Uh, and, and the text says that Jesus knows that his time to suffer and to die is drawing near. He knows it's coming. He knows it's near. And the text says that he loved his own to the very end. I was talking about his disciples. Uh, he, he loved those that he spent this three-year ministry with uh, to, until till the very end. Um, he loved them as he loved himself. And he illustrates that love by what he does in this story. Let's, uh, let's read it together in verse 3. Jesus... ...knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands... ...and that He had come from God and was going back to God. Now notice with me in the text, it says... ...the Father had given all things into His hands. What does that mean? That means that Jesus has the authority of God. Jesus has the the very authority of God... ...that has been given to Him by the Father... The text also said he had come from God. He knew that he had come from God. Jesus was from God. Jesus knows that he's divine. That he is God in human flesh. That's power. That's a lot of power at your fingertips. So Jesus, he knows, knowing. He knows that he has the authority of God. He knows that he has the power of God. He knows that he is God in human flesh. Now that's a lot of freedom, folks. <laughs> that's a lot of freedom to have the authority, the power, the divinity of God himself. That's a lot of, that's a lot of freedom. Uh, I, I've known people that uh, get frustrated with their work environment and frustrated with their with their job, that say, you know, I just want to quit and give this up and start my own business, and then I'll have the authority and the power to do it my way. I'll, I, I can be my own boss. I don't have to listen uh, to, to, to anyone. I can have my own freedom and do things my way. Jesus, we see in this text, he has that freedom. The freedom to do His will. He has the the authority, the power of God. And this is what He does with His freedom. Notice with me in verse 4. He rose from supper. He laid aside His outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around His waist. Then He poured water into a basin. And he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now, feet are probably one of the most least desirable parts of your body. Uh, I was a youth minister for four years before I was with uh, you guys. And we would take uh, teenagers to, to Fall Creek Falls Bible Camp. And uh, I, I, I've, I've stayed with 10-plus teenage boys in, in a cabin. And there's, um, there, there's not many experiences in life that are less pleasant than when 10 teenage boys take off their shoes in a cabin after they've been running around all day. Uh, it's, it's not a very good experience at all. <laughs> the smell is horrible. Uh, and maybe you have a similar experience. But, but feet aren't very desirable. They're not a very desirable part of your body. And the same was true back in Jesus' day. In, in this culture, people would travel long distances, a long way in sandals, on dusty roads, Uh, Their feet were nasty. They were were very stinky. And it was customary in this culture for uh, foot washing to be done by non-Jewish servants, non-Jewish slaves. This was a very undignified job to wash somebody's dirty, stinky, nasty feet. And that's why it's absolutely amazing that Jesus, God, in human flesh, does what He does in this passage. The text says that He rose from supper. He stood up from His place of prominence. He laid aside His outer garments. He descended to a humble to a lowly state of servitude. He tied a towel around His waist and poured water into a basin. He kneeled down. He took the posture of a servant, of a slave. And He began to wash the disciples' feet. The most undignified thing ...that a person could do in this culture... ...is what Jesus does. God, in human flesh... ...stands up from His place of prominence... ...and stoops to the level of a servant. Stoops to the level of a slave. Jesus has authority. He has power. He has freedom to do His will but He uses that freedom, that power, that authority to clean up our mess, to wash someone's many people's stinky, nasty, dirty feet. Church, that's the gospel. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. The good news is that Jesus... Washes feet, as we see within this passage. And Paul uh, expounds upon this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Paul says, have this mind, this kind of a mind, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Here's the mind of Jesus, the mind of Christ, in verse 6. Who, though He was in the form of God, He was God, God He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to be seized, a thing to take and lord over those who were beneath Him and use His superiority to exalt Himself to the detriment of those that were beneath Him. He didn't do that. But verse 7, He emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant. By taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God, God, the exalted one. How majestic is your name, O Lord! The one whose glory surpasses that of the heavens becomes human flesh and stoops to our level, stoops to the level of a servant. If you are a spiritually-minded person, when you ponder things such as this, there's no thought... And there's no experience in life, I believe, that could be more enticing than the fact that the Almighty becomes a servant in this way. It's amazing. It's beyond amazing. And the thought never grows old to ponder and to think about. It's a thought that transforms you that transforms your existence, that transforms your way of life, that takes control of you, that takes you captive, as it did Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you allow it to. Keep reading with me in verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, But afterward, you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I don't wash your feet, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Oh Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. At first, Peter essentially says, No, Jesus, you're crazy. You're not going to wash my feet, you're the master. You're the Messiah. You're the chosen one that's going to redeem us. (coughs) Excuse me. You're not going to stoop to the level of a servant? Of a slave? And wash somebody's feet like my own? And then Jesus essentially says, Peter, if this doesn't happen, you have no hope. You have no hope if I don't Wash your feet. If I am not rejected, if I do not suffer, if I do not die, if I am not raised and ascended back to the right hand of the Father, there's no hope for you, Peter. Jesus must wash your feet. And you must allow Him to wash your feet. Skip down with me to verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Jesus says that his service is a pattern of what his disciples are to do after he is God this kind of this this kind of service that descends to uh, the, the descends to a lowly level and washes a per- and washes someone's feet? This kind of humble service is to be a pattern. It's to be a pattern for all those who come after Jesus for them to imitate. They're to be footwashers. That's to be their identity as followers of His, as slaves, as servants to the greatest needs of humanities. They're, 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 they, they are to get up from their place of prominence, like Jesus did, and descend to the level of a lowly, humble servant, and to take the posture of a servant. And that's what his, He wants His disciples to, to know. A, a, a servant is not greater than his master, Jesus says. If I do this, and if you claim to follow Me, then... You must do this as well, Jesus essentially says. And then lastly, in verse 17, He says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now, what can we learn very briefly as we close this morning? What can we learn? Four four things. Service, this kind of service, it's the Christian's personality. Uh, Jesus' actions, they're, they're not only an example to the disciples, to the, to the twelve that are there, uh, but they're a pattern for us as followers of Jesus Christ to imitate and follow. Paul says in, in, Rom- in Romans chapter 12, verses, uh, verse, verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We should see ourselves like this. We should see ourselves as foot washers that get up from our place of prominence and descend to the lowly lowly level that Jesus descended to and washed people's feet. We should be a people that are transformed continuously by Jesus' action of washing our own feet, cleansing us of our own sin. We should be a people that constantly meditate and ponder what Jesus has done for us and allow it to control us and to take hold of us and to take root in our very identity so that it becomes a part of who we are and it becomes our own personality. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is one who imitates Jesus Christ and washes another person's feet. What else do we learn? Service, as we see from the text, should come from humility, not from pride. You know, sometimes when I try to serve someone in this way, one of my temptations is to do so from a spirit, from a mentality of superiority. Uh, I, I look at this person that, that, that I'm serving and I say, Oh, this poor pitiful person, they need me. They, 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 they need someone like, like, like me. And, and just look at, look, look at me because of what I'm doing. It just makes me feel so good <coughs> about myself. Sometimes I'm tempted to, to serve from a position of superiority. But, but Jesus-like service, it doesn't, come, it doesn't originate from a place of pride. It originates from a place of humility. It sees all people as image bearers of God. And it has the motive of, I sincerely want this person to know God. I don't want to exert myself over this person so that by my service, I am seen as superior to this person. I serve this person because this person is valuable. I serve this person because this person is an image bearer of God. That's Jesus-like service. It originates from a place of humility, not of pride. What else do we learn? We learn that service sometimes hurts. It hurts in the very fact that this, uh, you know, this is an illustration of what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus had to suffer uh, by washing our feet spiritually. He had to suffer on the, on the cross and bear the weight of God's wrath. But another uh, application that I think we can draw is that Service hurts in, uh, in, in, in the way of uh, doing it, extending it towards somebody that has wronged you or has hurt you in some way. Uh, you know, when, when the text says Jesus washes the disciples' feet, the implication is that Jesus washed all of the disciples' feet, including Judas. Who's Judas the one that was going to betray Him. Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that Satan had entered the heart of Judas, prompting Him to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that, but yet, what does He do? He washes the feet of one that He knows is going to betray Him. That's Jesus-like service. And that doesn't mean... I don't think the text is trying to say that Judas was saved. Uh, I'm I'm not trying to say that, but 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 it does mean that Jesus-like service is rendered even to its enemies, like Peggy Covell, (coughs) who looks at all of these people that killed her family unjust unjustly, and she serves them. She binds up their wounds. She washes their feet, essentially. That's Jesus-like service. A service that even is rendered toward its enemies. And sometimes, sometimes it hurts. However, blessings truly come to the one who serves. As it says in verse 17, if you know these things, the text says, blessed. Blessed, blessed are you if you do them. You will be blessed if you serve like Jesus serves. So the encouragement that I leave with you is be like this. See this Jesus as He is. Always keep Him at the forefront of your mind. Allow Him and what He has done to transform you, to make you into a new creation, a new creature that's fully willing and fully capable of serving in like manner as He. This morning, if you're subject to the invitation, if if you know that you are lost and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ... The blessed gospel of Jesus is extended to you. You can know that this Jesus lives today. You can know that He has died for your sins, that was buried and rose on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. You can repent of your sins, do a 180 in your life, and live. commit to live in continual repentance, and you can come forward in just a few moments and confess your faith in Jesus And be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and begin a relationship with Jesus. This morning, if you have any need, why don't you come forward as we stand and as we sing.